podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two Footed Podcast. It is Monday, the 21st of June. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. That's a virtual privacy network. Allows you to go online, change your location. Also keeps your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPLVPN. You get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Right, folks, slightly sad start to the day here in my home. Um, we mourn the loss of Bernard the guinea pig who passed away in the night. Uh, he leaves behind his brother Manny, as well as his canine cousins Molly, Sam and Toby. Uh, so, you know, pour out a drink to Bernard if you're having one later on. Um, right, European Championships. We obviously had quite a busy weekend of games. Friday, we saw Sweden beat Slovakia 1-0. Great win for the Swedes. They needed that victory. Isaac again, the star of the show. Some really impressive play from him. A little bit disappointed in Slovakia. Thought they were quite flat in the game. Failed to build on their win over the poles but the Swedes needed this win they get their win and it should be enough to see them advance they've now got four points they obviously play Poland next a win will see them guaranteed to top the group a draw and they should top the group defeat they probably still go through they will probably still go through with a defeat because they have four points They've got a positive goal differential at the moment. And the more I get to see Alexander Isaac, the happier I am. What a talent that kid is. 21 years of age, literally unlimited potential, can be any kind of striker you want him to be. Also Friday, Croatia won, the Czech Republic won. The Czechs go one up, a Patrick Schick penalty. It was harsh. It was a harsh penalty. Dejan Lovren adjudged to have caught Schick with an elbow. Now, he did break his nose. He did catch him with the elbow, but he's jumping for a ball. I know the rule is if you, you have to jump with your arms kind of out straight rather than bent so that you avoid the possibility of a stray elbow. But it did seem harsh. But look, this is something Lovren does. He is a He's a clumsy player. He gives referees the opportunities to influence games. It's one of the big flaws that he has. Ivan Perisic made it 1-1. Stunning goal. Cutting in from the left on his weaker right foot. Just trucks it into the net. There's absolutely no chance um, for the goalkeeper. You could have put two goalkeepers in there, Vaklik and somebody else, and neither of them would have touched that ball. 
Brilliant goal from Perisic. He's a tremendous player. We know that. He's had a tremendous career. He's always... He's always fallen short of what I think he could have been. Because when you look at his talent, he's got good pace. He's got an incredible left foot. Generates amazing power. Shoots really well and really accurately. Great crosser of the ball. Versatile player. Can play in a midfield three. Can play left wing back, left wing, right wing. He can play as a 10. He can play up front. For some reason, he's just never really maximized his talent. He's still had a very, very good career. I mean, you don't play for Dortmund, Inter Milan and Bayern Munich without having a very good, without, you know, having had a good career. Over 100 caps for his national team as well. But at Dortmund, he never really established himself under Klopp as, as like an automatic guaranteed first pick. And you would have thought he was Klopp's type of player because he's got an incredible work rate and obviously his technical ability. He went on to Wolfsburg had one one very, very good season. Wasn't quite as good the second season, but got his move to Inter Milan. Did well in some average Inter teams. Conte took over and immediately loaned him out to Bayern. And he did pretty well at Bayern, obviously. Went on and won uh, everything there is to win in the game. Um, Champions League, league title, cup. He'd won a Bundesliga with with Dortmund as well. He'd won a cup with Dortmund and a cup with with Wolfsburg. But when he went back to Inter then, Conte really started to use him well. And he played a big part in the season that they had where they won the title. But you've just, you always feel like he's always been a really important squad player for good teams rather than an automatic nailed-on starter, which is what his talent dictates he should have been. But there can be no denying that he's had an excellent career. This was a great goal. And it gives Croatia an opportunity. Now, that opportunity will come against Scotland, who drew 1-1 with England. Scotland outperformed England. There can be no debate on that. The better team on the night. The lack of quality up front is what hurt them. But moving McTominay into the back three and having Kieran Tierney back really solidified that back line. Billy Gilmore came into central midfield. And I thought he was tremendous. I thought he was the best player on the pitch on the night. Um, outperformed his his clubmate Declan Rice, who's obviously far more highly rated than him. Uh, Callum McGregor in midfield as well, I thought, very, very good. McGinn in a more advanced role. Everything was there for the Scots except up front. Che Adams is a good player. He lacks experience at this level. Lyndon Dykes is more experienced but lacks quality. He's a championship player at the best of times. That's the one area where Scotland just are missing that key ingredient. Now, the Scots have had horrible news today that Billy Gilmore has been tested positive for COVID and he is now out of the Croatia game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in midfield. Do they go with a similar type of setup and maybe bring in Fleck? Maybe bring in Ryan Christie and move McGinn back? could bring in David Turnbull again. That would mean McGinn moving back into central midfield. But I, I think that's fine. I'd like to see Turnbull. I think Turnbull's very, very good. He's really impressed me for Celtic, and he really impressed me at Motherwell before that. Um, just such bad timing for, for Gilmore, because after that performance, you're really looking forward to seeing him at Hamden in front of the home fans. I know there'd only be ten or twelve thousand, but based on how they how they were against the Czech Republic, it 
it sounds like twice or three times that. Um, once once the bagpipes hit and O'Flower of Scotland starts, the atmosphere at Hamden is, is sensational. It's one of the best places in the world to watch a game. Murrayfield is another if you're into rugby. The national anthem and the, the fans are just absolutely swinging from the rafters. It's incredible. Um, England were very, very poor. Harry Kane had a shambles of a game after a dreadful game against Croatia. And it does call into question Harry Kane's record at these international tournaments. You go back and look at 2016, four appearances, no goals, dreadful in all games. You look at 2018, yes, he won the golden boot, but it is the fraudiest golden boot there's ever been. He scores two against a a poor Tunisia team. Two short-range headers. He scores a hat-trick against the part-timers of Panama. But let's let's reflect on that hat-trick. Two penalties and a third that the goal of him to even try and claim that goal. Ruben Loftus-Cheek takes the shot. Kane knows nothing about it. It hits him on the heel and loops into the net. Kane knew nothing about it, claims it. It's the worst hat-trick in the history of the World Cup. Two spawny penalties in that. Shambles. There's five of his goals. Doesn't play against Belgium. Scores a penalty against Colombia and plays really poorly. Scores a penalty again in the um, penalty shootout. I'm surprised he didn't try and claim that as his seventh goal of the tournament. I'm sure at some point he has said he scored seven goals in the tournament. Uh, Plays against Sweden. Awful. Plays against Croatia. Might as well have stayed at home. And then doesn't show up in the third place game against Belgium either. Harry Kane doesn't show up in tournaments. He just doesn't. This is the third tournament he has not played well at all. Other than against Panama. And even at that, he played well because he got a hat-trick. He didn't play well because he played well. Uh, It's a little bit like Cristiano Ronaldo against Hungary. Didn't play well. Got two goals, but didn't play well. We'll get to Ronaldo. Um, England need to sort out what they're doing. The team's too passive. I don't think you need Rice and Phillips in there for every game. I would go Phillips and Mount as a pair, move Foden into the number 10 position, put Sterling on the right where he wants to play and bring in Jaden Sancho. Gareth Southgate's excuses for not playing Sancho, the lack of experience, are you kidding me? This guy's been playing Champions League football for multiple seasons, well over 100 appearances for Borussia Dortmund in a top five league. He's got more experience than... Reese James, Tyron Ming, Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice, Mason Mount in, in terms of Champions League big games. So I know Mount played in the final, but he's only had the two seasons of Champions League football as opposed to three for for Sancho. Um I I, I just don't think Southgate helps himself with these excuses. That performance was absolutely pathetic. Um on to Saturday, Hungary won, France won. Disappointing from the French, but Hungary, credit to them. Really, really impressive performance. Just like against Portugal, so hard to break down. Didn't give away any foolish fouls like they did in the first game. And they deserved the win. Germany 4, Portugal 2. This is the team performance of the tournament so far. Germany were just brilliant. They started well, 
Portugal score against the run of play. Ronaldo with a defensive header. Bernardo Silva picks the ball up and carries it. Finds Diogo Jota, who draws the keeper and lays it across to Ronaldo, who taps home. Really good team goal. Tremendous counter-attack. But it's Germany took it personally. And Robin Gosens took it particularly personally. Because his performance was absolutely sensational. Ruben Diaz, hyped all season long by your Carragers and your Nevilles as this transformational defender, made to look like a guy who won a raffle to play in this game. Shambolic defending. Kai Havertz just roasted him. Diaz gets the own goal in the first one. Uh, Rafael Guerrero scores a second own goal four minutes later. Great work by Kimmich. Havertz gets the third, and Gosens himself gets the fourth. They had a goal disallowed as well. Uh, Germany were just brilliant. Diogo Jota did pull one back for the Portuguese on 67, and then Renato Sanchez with one of the most beautifully hit shots I've ever seen in my life, uh, nearly took the goalpost out of the ground. Portugal kept going, they kept trying, fair play, but you have to question the setup with the two sitting midfielders. It didn't work against Hungary, you had to change it. Why go with it again against Germany? For Germany, they needed this. After a flat performance against France, this was just sensational. Kimmich and, and Gosens as wingbacks is... It's the strongest pairing any, of wingbacks anyone has in this tournament. Kimmich is the best right-back in the world. Now, I know he plays nominally as a midfielder now for Bayern, but he, he is an incredible right-back. And Gosens is probably a top five, top three maybe left-back in the world. Uh, left wing, more a wing-back than a, than a full-back, but he's, he's sensational. We know how great Tony Cruz is. We know how great Ilkay Gundogan is. They've got Goretzka back now as well. He came on. So they can go two from that three. Gnabry hit form in this game, looked great. Havertz hit form, looked great. Muller had a good game. There are question marks over whether Muller and Havertz is the best fit together. But in this game, it worked really well because the three of them all have the ability to play as the nine or as either of the, of the supporting tens, I suppose you'd call them. So the rotations caused Portugal all kinds of trouble. We saw at one point Pepe up against Gnabry, who just drifted to the left wing, and Pepe went with him. And Thomas Muller just stepped into the number nine position, and there was nobody close to him. So Diaz has to rush across, which leaves Kai Havertz rolling into the space free. Really clever play from the Germans. Really impressive performance. Great to see them bounce back like that. Um, and hopefully, hopefully this is a sign of things to come from them. Because when Germany are good, the competition gets better. Spain won, Poland won. Again, Spain passing the air out of the football. Very little purpose in the team. Moreno comes in for Ferran Torres. I thought that was a bit of a strange decision by, um, by Luis Enrique, considering you're looking to add goals. I know Moreno's more of a goal scorer than Torres. But Torres is still more of a goal scorer than Morata or, Al or Dan Danny Almo. Now, Danny Almo didn't play particularly well in this game. Morata scored a goal. Not sure you could say he played all that well. Um, 
Oyarzabal, who I thought should be starting, got about four minutes. Thiago Alcantara sat kicking his heels on the bench. I just don't understand what Luis Enrique is doing. I don't, I don't know that Luis Enrique is a good manager. I saw someone ask the question over the weekend, who are the best managers in this competition? Who would you take as a club manager? And a lot of people said Luis Enrique. So I looked at his career. Failed at Roma. Poor at Celta Vigo. Got the Barca job based on who he is and his connections to the club. Inherited Messi, Neymar, Xavi, no, not Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, Rakitic, is given Suarez as a welcome, welcome to the job present, and they have an incredible season. That's That, I think, is the best front three ever. Messi, Suarez, and Neymar. They win the Champions League, they win La Liga. But do they win it because of him or because of the players? Because it's the best front three I've ever seen, two-thirds of the best midfield I've ever seen, and the third part of that is Rakitic in his prime, really, really good. You've got a great right-back. Centre-backs aren't fantastic, but, you know, they're not bad. You get a good left-back. And a very good goalkeeper. I just don't know that that's down to him and not down to the team. And then they got worse every year he was there. In his second year, they win, still win the league, but they weren't as impressive as the first season. And the third year, they win nothing. So, I don't know that Luis Enrique is a good manager. I'm yet to see it. I certainly haven't seen anything in this tournament. What we did see in this game was Robert Lewandowski looking more like Robert Lewandowski, scoring a goal, playing well, harassing those Spanish centre-backs. Zielinski looked much more comfortable playing that bit deeper. I thought Jakob Moder, the young Brighton midfielder, came in and, and did a very good job in the centre of the park. I thought Poland looked more like a team and a functional unit than they did in their first game. Uh, and then that brings us to yesterday. Italy won. Wales nil. Italy topped the group. They go through. Wales will go through in second place. Um, Italy could have run the score up in this game. It, Italy could have scored four or five. They just never got out of second gear. Verratti looked imperious in midfield. Chiesa looked impressive. But And, and Bastoni at the back looked very, very commanding. But they never really had to try. Uh, Ethan Ampadu sent off for Wales. Really poor decision in my book. Really poor. Weak officiating. I didn't think that was a straight red at all. Um, I'm hoping to see Ampadu get a good move this summer. He can't stick around to Chelsea, at least on loan. You know, like he was on loan last year at Sheffield United, but they, that was a train wreck. And they never played him in the proper positions for a consistent run. If you're going to play him... You've got to either use a back three and play him in the middle role, or you've got to play him as the holding midfielder sat in front of the two centre-backs. They kept using him as a left-side centre-back. Number one, he's not left-footed. And in your system under Chris Wilder, you need a left-footed centre-back. Um, they played him on the right of the back three a couple of times. He played well there, but it, it's again, you want him in, the, in a central area. I think he goes on to have a very good career. I think he's a, he's a big-time prospect. But... Um, the Welsh were, they were in safety first mode. They really were. They weren't trying to take any risks. 
They just wanted to get through the game without getting a thumping so that they'd advance. And, and they do. So congrats to them. Um, a little bit fortunate because Switzerland should have beaten them. But at the same time, they got the point. They went on and beat uh, the Turks. So they deserve to get through. Uh, Switzerland also likely to get through. They finished third in the group, but should go through as one of the best place, third place teams. Harris Serovic, Karl Matchett's favourite player, uh, scores after six minutes. And then it's the Shakiri show from there. Two great goals. Kvechi scores a wonderful goal for the Turks. In terms of individual goals, Severovic, Shakiri's first, and Kvechi's, they're all incredible. Um, probably Shakiri's and Kvechi's the, the, the two better, the, the two best on the day. Shakiri's second is a tremendous team goal. And again, it's a, it's a brilliant finish from, from a great player. He's doing his chances of a good move this summer, no harm. Liverpool want rid. He wants to go and play more regularly. He does need to play in a team that will put up with the fact that off the ball he's a non-factor. And there are going to be spells that he just decides to start walking around. But with the ball at his feet, he is a magician. Like He's a wonderful player. He's got an incredible left foot. And not a bad right foot either. Um, for the Turks, they go home. Uh, I would imagine I would imagine the manager is out fairly soon. I really would. I, I can't think that uh Sanal Gones will will keep his job because that's about as bad a job as you'll ever see at an international tournament. There is a ton of talent in that squad. Especially defensively. Like Kakir, the goalkeeper, is really good, but he got no protection in that tournament at all. Um, Sayonchu, we know, is very good. Demirel is quality. Kabak, we've seen, is quality. Uh, Celik, the, the right-back, is quality. Wouldn't be massively keen on any of the left-back options. Um, Mert Mulder played in the last game. He's a right-back, but, I mean, Umat Merish had been so poor that he had to make some sort of change. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Ridvan Yilmaz of uh, Besiktas get the start, but he refused to play any of the younger the younger defenders. Uh, Yakuzla, we've seen, is a, is a good player as a holding midfielder, but the midfield was left so open and so unbalanced. The insistence on playing Cengiz under, who was just dreadful throughout, really strange. Yilmaz didn't look himself. Why not give Unal a game? Um... Chalonoglu didn't play well. Umor didn't get a didn't get a kick of the ball. That no structure, no solidity, everything wide open, and not creating anything. Like if you're going to play like that, at least go forward, at least be adventurous. But instead, they were wide open and a dull, dreadful job. Home they go. I have to imagine out he goes. Um. But yeah, as I say, that is Group A done. Italy top, the Welsh in second, Switzerland third. You'd imagine the Swiss will find their way through as one of the four best third-place teams. Um, so look forward to seeing, especially looking forward to seeing the Italians again. I think they've been the best team overall. Um, you see the amount of changes they made yesterday, and it's still a very strong team. Um, and now they have Verratti back. Now, I don't think he'll come straight in for the next game. 
I don't think that would be fair either because Locatelli's been so good and I assume it's him that would, would be dropped. You can't drop Barella. You just can't. He won't drop Jorginho. He needs Jorginho from a defensive point of view and he loves Jorginho, Mancini does. So he's going to play him. So I'd imagine for Verratti to come back and it has to be Locatelli, but he was so good against the Swiss. He was so good. You have to keep him in the team for the next game, I think. Um, we've got games today. And there are four of them. At 5pm, we've got Ukraine against Austria. So they're level on three points. Uh, currently sitting second and third. Ukraine having scored a goal more. They have the same goal difference. Ukraine have been more impressive than the Austrians. Austria were very, very disappointing against the Netherlands. Not particularly great against North Macedonia. Now, Ukraine struggled a little bit against North Macedonia, but did give the Netherlands a good game. That should be a fun one. Netherlands against North Macedonia, you'd expect that there'll be some changes in that, that Dutch team, that maybe Daniel Malin gets a start, Ryan Gravenberch maybe gets a start. You might bring Jurian Timber back in at the back. Maybe Owen well, uh, Weinald plays at... Uh, Weindal, Weindal, I think it's Weindal, plays at left-back instead of uh, Patrick van Aanholt. But the Netherlands are through. It should be. They they should win, even with changes made. For North Macedonia, look, the experience has been incredible. For these players to get to play in a major international tournament, for their fans to get to follow this team, I, I hope they get a hero's welcome when they head home. It's annoyed me, I said this to Matchett earlier, it's annoyed me that they've put the Group C games on at 5 and the B games on after it. I think it has to be because maybe Belgium and Denmark are more of an attractive proposition to TV audiences. I I don't know. Um, Belgium take on Finland. Belgium are through. This is at 8 o'clock. Finland need a result. Or... No, Finland just need a result. <laughs> Let's be clear. Finland just need a result in this game uh, to get themselves through. Now, the Danes can still qualify despite having no points. If Denmark beat Russia, let's say 1-0, and Belgium beat Finland 2 or 3-0, Denmark will end up in second place. I think after how they were treated in the aftermath of the Ericsson incident and the fact that they were forced to play that game, I think we should all be getting behind the Danes and urging them on to victory. If they play like they did in the first 35-40 minutes against Belgium, I think they can get a result. I don't think much of this Russian team, to be honest. Dreadful against Belgium. Not particularly impressive against Finland either. Maranchuk with a moment of magic. They had a couple of good moments, but remember, very lucky not to go one down, marginal offside. But yeah, so four games today, two 5pms, two 8pms, should be a lot of fun. Um, I'm, I'm, liking, I'm liking Belgium and Denmark, first and second, and I think then Group B ends up with it without, without a third place team coming through. I think the Netherlands win, I think Ukraine-Austria ends in a draw, and I think they both get through. Uh, that would be that will be my view on how that ends up. Um, right, that is the games. What we'll do, we'll take a break, and when we come back, 
want to have a little chat about the, the lack of urgency by Premier League clubs to appoint managers, and then we'll wrap up with the gossip. See you in a few. Bye-bye. Right, welcome back. So, as I mentioned before the break, it's a weird thing where if we look at the Premier League from this past season, we had six teams going into the going into the summer looking at managerial changes. A couple of them didn't find out until a little bit later, like Everton, for example. But Sheffield United knew that they were going to have to get a new manager, and they've gotten a new manager. Sheffield United have gone out, Slavisa Jokanovic brought him in, proven championship caliber manager, gotten promoted with both Watford and Fulham. So knows the division, knows how to get, how to get out of it. I think it's a really good appointment. I think they've, they've reached out and got the best they could have gotten. Um, hopefully they'll have a little bit of luck and be able to keep the likes of Sander Berger, be able to maybe get Koulibaly in, the um, the young midfielder they bought last summer, really talented. They can do that. They'll have Jack O'Connell back. You'd expect a lot more from Brewster. I would be looking to sell Ramsey. If Arsenal, or Ra- Ramsey, Ramsdale, if Arsenal are offering you 20, 25 million, take both hands. Then go and buy Freddie Woodman. Even loan him in with an option to buy from Newcastle. He's a better goalkeeper than Ramsdale. He'll cost a lot less. And it looks like Newcastle don't really have a plan for him. Uh, failing that, Carol Darlow's a better goalkeeper. If they're keeping Woodman, they'll have to get rid of Darlow. So one way or another, you end up with a better goalkeeper and a big bag of money that you can then help replenish the squad. You need help at centre-back. You're good in the wing-back positions, but we don't know if you'll be playing with wing-backs. If you want to play wingers, you're going to have to go and buy them because you don't own a single winger. Um, you'll be good in midfield if you keep Kula, if Koulibaly can get his work permit. You'll be excellent in midfield in the championship if Berger sticks around. Up front, you've got good options. Uh, Brewster will be much better, I think. Um, Jebison, I, he looked really impressive at the end of the season. Ollie McBurney's a proven championship player. Lee Smith's a proven championship player. David McGoldrick is a very, very good player. So the only thing they really need, they need a bit of help at centre-back and then figure out, are you playing wing-backs? Are you, play, are you going to play you know, with, with wide forwards or, or wingers? Um, if you're, if you're going to play with wing-backs, I, I think literally one starting centre-back on the right, because for me, I'd just be looking to move Basham into more of a squad role at this point. And then one for depth, preferably a left footer who can play when O'Connell's out. And upgrade the keeper. That's pretty much it. If you can keep those two boys in midfield, if you don't, you'll you'll have a bunch of money to spend to replace them. So should be they should be good. They should be good. Above them, West Brom still haven't made a decision. Now it looks like they're getting close. Valerian Ishmael from Barnsley looks like he is going to be the one, but It looked like it would be Chris Wilder, then it wasn't. It looked like it was going to be David Wagner, then it wasn't. It looked for a minute like it was going to be Alex Neal, and then it it just disappeared. So, it's the 21st of June. You knew Big Sam wasn't sticking around a month ago 
when you fired him. How are we still in this situation? You don't have a director of football anymore either because he quit too. So West Brom still have work to do. Fulham haven't, still haven't parted ways with Parker, even though it's basically been reported that he is leaving. Um, whether they're looking for compensation from Bournemouth or not, I don't know. But just just get him out the door. It looks like Steve Cooper is their preferred manager to come in and replace Parker. Make it happen. Make it happen quickly. Preseason's not that far away. The Champions League qualifiers start tomorrow. So the the next season basically kicks off tomorrow. Um, Crystal Palace have to have known for quite a long time that Hodgson was going. Either because they decided that he was going or he decided he was going. But they've known for months and months and months, if not a full year, that he was going. Now, it looked like they got really close to appointing Nuno, and then it all fell apart. They were linked with Eddie Howe. Nothing ever came of that. It looks like Lucian Favre is their preferred target. Whether he is entirely interested or not, we don't know. We'll probably find out this week. But again, what is taking these clubs so long? Lucian Favre has been out of work since Christmas. Dortmund sacked him quite a while ago. So, you know, you knew Nuno knew he was leaving his job. He was available to talk the day after the season ended. Lucien Favre was available to talk before the season ended. If they're your top two guys, this should be done. Go to Nuno, what's the plan? Blah, blah, blah. Right, we're not doing this. Right, who else do we want? Lucien Favre. Have him in the door by June 1st. It's 21st of June, lads. Get your act together. Then you get Everton. And look, Everton got blindsided by Carlo. They didn't think he was leaving and he left them in the lurch. And theirs is the one situation I do have sympathy with. But again, it looked like they got close on Nuno and then it fell apart. Then it was it was Rafa. It was all going to be Rafa. There was a backlash from the fans. It's all gone quiet. I don't know what's happening. There's there's no reports now. There's no new names out there. Nobody seems to know what Everton are doing. Have they had second thoughts on Rafa because of the fan backlash? Understandable if so, because you look at what happened with Spurs and Gattuso, and we'll get to them in a second. But Everton need to do something. You can't just sit around and wait for someone to fall into your lap. You've got to go and aggressively approach managers. Now, he's not the fanciest manager in the world, but he's a really good manager, Rafa Benitez. If he's your your choice, just get it done. Just get it done. The fans will come round if he wins games. But the other option out there for them is Ernesto Valverde, who, like Rafa, is a two-time La Liga winner, very, very experienced, has been at big clubs, has managed Athletic Bilbao twice, Valencia and Barcelona, and Olympiacos, the biggest club in Greece. He's been around a long time. He's got loads of experience. And he's won some stuff, you know? He's won some stuff. He got Espanyol to a UEFA Cup final. Espanyol. Everton are bigger than that. He could do similar things with Everton. He won three... Uh, Greek titles with Olympiacos. He won the Super Cup with 
uh, Athletic Bilbao. He won back-to-back league titles with Barca. Barca sacked him because he wasn't sexy enough. Because the football wasn't what the Barca faithful wanted. So they appointed a fella that did a terrible job and they binned him off. Um, Valverde is out there. He is available. He has spoken before about having an interest in managing in England. Again, his football's not all that exciting at times, but he's really, really good at what he does. There are managers out there, Everton. Make a decision. You've gone for Nuno and Rafa, so clearly free-flowing attacking football is not your bag. It never has been for Everton. Let's, let's not pretend that Everton have ever been some wonderful footballing side. Maybe in the 40s and 50s. But in the 80s, they were a functional team who hiked big balls up to Andy Gray. Then they had the 90s where they were just horrible to watch for almost the entirety. Then Moyes took over. Does anyone think David Moyes plays really exciting football? And look what you've had since. Carlo played the most attacking football. He's Italian. And the football wasn't all that attacking anyway. So for Keyes and Gray, who had absolute meltdowns, um, to uh, to say that, well, Rafa Benitez's football, it, you know, it doesn't fit with the effort. And what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And and the best thing is is Richard Keyes going on Twitter and saying that he spoke to somebody who worked at Liverpool under Rafa, and they said when what Rafa's motto is attack with three, defend with seven. Nonsense, absolute tripe. First of all, nobody at Liverpool talks to Richard Keyes. Secondly, I'd be stunned if there's any coach still at the club that was there when Rafa was there. Thirdly, Rafa plays 4-2-3-1. By the very makeup of 4-2-3-1, you can't just attack with three. You just can't. Richard Keyes is a moron, an absolute moron. For purely to upset him and him and Andy Gray, and what's that Porky fella's name off Talksport? An absolute moron as well. To just upset all three of them, I really want Rafa to take that job. Other than, other than Carlo, Rafa would be the best manager to ever take the Everton job. In terms of his standing in the game, what he's achieved. He will be the best manager to ever take that job after Carlo. Multiple La Liga titles, UEFA Cup, Champions League, Europa League with Chelsea, bunch of cups. He's won more in the last 10 years where he's been past the best point of his career, then Everton have won in 25. So, you know, I, this idea, he hasn't won anything since 2014. Everton haven't won anything since 1995. Let's not talk about droughts. Everton have not won anything since 1995. Rafa Benitez can win stuff for you. Valverde can win stuff for you. Make a decision. Get someone in. As for Tottenham, I mean, 
as I said on Friday, we can't all laugh at them. Um, Arsenal fans, for example, you can't laugh at, at, at Tottenham because you're a bigger mess. Uh, but Tottenham, like, I just don't understand what's going on. You sacked Mourinho in April, which gave you basically two months to the end of the season to put together a short list of managers. Now, allegedly, that short list was Nagelsmann, Ten Hag, Rodgers. Everybody knew Nagelsmann was going to, to Bayern. Everybody knew. So you had Ten Hag and Rodgers. And when you tried for those, you got neither. So surely those managers are the template of what you want. The style of football and whatever else. Now, Antonio Conte is a different kettle of fish altogether. And if he's available, you just go for him. Even if he's a massive divergency from what you wanted, you just go for him because he's a winner. You go all in on Conte, you get close, it falls apart. Surely then you pivot back to what you were originally looking at. Progressive, attacking football, young coach who develops players, works within a budget, will make the most of what you have in-house already. Not for Spurs. No. Fonseca maybe a little bit falls into that category. But it falls apart for whatever reason. They look at Nuno, totally different type of manager. And then they go for Gattuso. It was, again, a complete departure from, well, he's a departure from reality. The, the Spurs fans kick off. They don't want him. That falls apart. Um, the spoofer with the catchphrase says they're in advanced negotiations and then rectifies himself the next day and says, well, they had a conversation. Because, uh, you know, he makes it up as he goes along. Now, they don't know what they want. Again, I've seen Valverde's name mentioned. Now, again, he doesn't fit that first list. And as good as he is, I mean, he's not Conte. So if you've decided that your list is your list, and that's the style of manager you want, well, great. Then we look at the situation with Paratici. Now, as I said, I said when they appointed him, if you're bringing him in with Conte, great, because it's Conte. Fine. They've worked together. They know each other. Fine. Bringing him in without Conte was a massive risk. At Juve, under Morata, he did really well because he had Morata's guiding hand, Morata's eye for talent, Morata's decision-making to fall back on. Without Morata, it was pretty much a disaster. The Ramsey contract, the Higuain deal, the Ronaldo deal, selling Romero, who went on to be the best defender in Serie A this past season, uh, in favour of keeping Demarel, who is a good defender, but I mean, he's not a patch on Romero. He, he's Comparing Demarel to Romero is a bit like comparing Harry Maguire to Rafa Varane. I, I would say that's the... One's a good, solid defender. One's a great defender. Paratici's sales at Juve were even funnier than some of his signings. Go go and look at Juve's transfer business from 2000... When did Morata leave? Was it 2015? Uh, 
No, 2018. So go and go and look at their bit at Juventus's business from 2010 to say 2017, which would have been Morata's last summer, and then have a look at what happened afterwards. Now, again, bear in mind the Higuain deal was all Paratici. He came out at the time and said, "You know, this is this is my move." Um, he was the one that saw that as the big opportunity. Morata had kind of had a falling out with the ownership, the ownership in you know in the last couple of years, and was a little bit on the periphery, which is what prompted the move to enter. But just just have a look at, even look at say 2010 2016, when. Morata was making all the main decisions. And then when Paratici got more and more power the last few years. Two different clubs. Um, so he's got different ideas, but what he wants as a manager as well. He seemed to want Fonseca. Then he didn't. He seemed to want Gattuso. That, that alone, that's a red flag. And now, here we are. Spurs still don't know who they want. There's no real proper links to anybody. Valverde's name is floating, but doesn't seem like there's much much to it. They sacked Mourinho on the 19th of April. So we are two months past that. And still Tottenham have no manager. The fixtures are out. And we have three Premier League teams who don't know who the manager is going to be on the opening day as well as two of the relegated teams. Now, again, it looks like one of them is going to be sorted in the next couple of days, and it seems like the other has a plan. But the relegated teams, they, they have more of a clue of what they're doing than the teams that are still in the division. Get your act together. We'll wrap up with the gossip. We've got a couple of days' worth. Uh, Manchester City will make a take-it-or-leave-it offer of $100 million to Tottenham for Harry Kane. That's from the Daily Star. We'll put it where all Daily Stars should go in the bin. Um, Daniel Levy will deny Kane a move to a club in the Champions League and is determined to hold on to the England captain. Strange. Tottenham's new director of football, Fabio Paratici, is keen to bring in Nuno Espirito Santo. Uh, but others at the London club want to try to reappoint Mauricio Pochettini. Uh, talk sport uh, clearly about three weeks behind the news because that is literally the news from three weeks ago. Um, Manchester United have made a new bid of more than 75 million, which has been rejected. Did they though? Did they really? Because the first bid was 58 million and 9 million in add ons, rejected out of hand. My guess would be this one's probably 65 million in add ons. And it's been rejected again. They are miles away from getting that deal done. Uh, Manchester United fear Paul Pogba will run down the final year of his contract and leave with talks over a new deal on a deadlock. Sell him then. It, it's not hard. It really isn't hard. Just sell him. Take whatever you can get and get rid of him. If you put Paul Pogba on the market for 50 million, somebody will be stupid enough to give you 50 million. Probably Real Madrid. Maybe PSG. Somebody will give you that money. Then maybe you can afford Jaden Sancho. 
Real Madrid's big summer signing could be the return of James Rodriguez. I doubt it. I very much doubt it. They couldn't wait to get rid of him. So I greatly doubt Real will want him back. Uh, PSG have joined Manchester United in hoping to sign Kieran Trippier. And let's just go ahead and say they haven't. Because in all likelihood, there's just no way. Um, Scotland left-back Kieran Tierney has agreed a new five-year contract with Arsenal, who wants to sort out a new deal for Emil Smith-Rowe. Great for Arsenal to get Tierney locked down long-term. Smith-Rowe, obviously hugely important. They have to get him done as well. But these are these are clever moves by Arsenal as opposed to the normal nonsense that we've seen from them. Chelsea are willing to offer Ruben Loftus-Cheek to enter as part of a deal for Ashraf Hakimi. I don't think Inter would have any interest in Loftus-Cheek. As talented as he is, he had a stinker of a season for Fulham. He's not long back from a torn Achilles and he doesn't look the same player. Scotland right-back Stephen O'Donnell has an exit clause in his Motherwell contract that allows him to go to... Or sorry, that, that has alerted several English clubs, including Birmingham, Derby, Blackpool, Blackburn and Barnsley. Um, Scottish Premiership or Championship? It just Whatever the biggest bag of money is, Mr O'Donnell, you take it. A 29 is going to be your last big move. Go and get your, go and get your cash. West Ham are considering a move for Celtic striker Odson Edward after Leicester chose to finalise a deal for Red Bull Salzburg's Pats and Daka. So the, the word finalise in there, nothing is finalised. They, they haven't had a bid accepted for Pats and Daka, according to actual real journalists, not Football Insider or Spoofer Romano. According to actual real journalists who cover the German game, no deal has been, or and the Austrian game, no deal is, is in place for Dhaka, but he is Leicester's preferred target. Now, according to the spoofer with the catchphrase, it's done. But according to the spoofer with the catchphrase, Edward was done. So you just take all of it with a pinch of salt. Um, Portugal and Wolves keeper Rui Patricio has reached an agreement to join Roma. Again, this has come from the spoofer. Who knows if it's true? Probably not. He's probably just guessing. But... I, I would be surprised if Patricio sticks around at Wolves. He's on big money. I think they'll want him gone. He's clearly declining. Um, but they, they need to find a good replacement, not not the ones that have been mentioned, who are all dreadful. Real Madrid are looking to sign Luka Jovic. Oh, sorry, looking to sell Luka. They already own him. Uh, are looking to sell Luka Jovic, and his former club, Eintracht Frankfurt, are interested in re-signing the Serbian forward if Andre Silva leaves with United and Chelsea having shown interest. I would imagine Silva will leave. He had a tremendous season. I think there'll be a lot of clubs in for him, not just United and Chelsea. But he would make sense for Chelsea. Less sense for United, given they've kept um, Cavani. But, you know, if they pay, if they buy him, it's a good signing, to be fair. Uh, Borussia Dortmund and Real Sociedad are working on an agreement to waive the buyback clause in Alexander Isaac's contract so that the Swedish striker can sign a new deal with the Spanish club. Uh, I Apparently that's done now. I think they've done that so that Real Sociedad can sell them after these Euros. Liverpool have cons- completed the signing of Ghanaian forward Abdul Fatua Ishaku 
according to the chairman of his club, Steadfast FC. Liverpool have announced nothing so far. Juventus are preparing an offer of 26 million plus Romanian centre-back Radu Dracoisen for Sassuolo's Manuel Locatelli. That's not going to be enough. He's very talented by all accounts, that young defender. He's been linked to Crystal Palace a few times. Um, he's got one, one Serie A appearance for, for the first team. He's a very talented defender by all accounts. But Locatelli, they, they want like 40, 50 million for Locatelli, and rightly so, because he's he's a fantastic player. But I think they'll get better offers. Bayern Munich are interested in Denzel Dumfries, but he could prove too expensive. Saw a report this morning that he has a 13 million buyout. Don't know how true it is. But if that's if if it is true, then I could see him going to Bayern. Uh Torino are interested in a loan deal. For Real Madrid's 20-year-old Spanish midfielder, Marvin Park. Marvin Park is a very talented player who spent three years with with Tranmere Rovers. Um, Needs to go and get games. Played four times for Real last season. Didn't look out of place. I think they're more likely to loan him within Serie A. Or sorry, within, within La Liga than sending him to Serie A. It could be wrong, though. Uh, West Brom have made contact with former Everton boss Marco Silva as ba- as a backup plan if talks prove to be unsuccessful with Valerian Ishmael. I'm surprised his name hasn't come up for, for a couple of other jobs. Um, but, you know, I think he's been out of work since leaving Everton, hasn't he? He has. He's been out of work since leaving Everton. What a What a strange managerial career. Arrives at Hull... Does really well, but can't keep them up. Gets the Watford job. Starts brilliantly. Everton get very excited and tap up the life out of him. Everything goes into the toilet at Watford. He gets sacked. Everton hire him and then have to pay $4 million in compensation anyway. Goes to Everton. Three-year contracts. Very, very exciting. And 18 months later, he's out the door. <laughs> and he's just been sat at home now for a year and a half. But he, he clearly has something about him. He clearly does have a little bit of something about him as a manager. Um, So it'll be interesting to see where he pops up. Him and Eddie Howe are the two I'm surprised there hasn't been a bit more about. Uh, on then to today's gossip. That was yesterday's. This is today's. Borussia Dortmund have handed Manchester United a take-it-or-leave-it asking price of 77 million plus add-ons for Jadon Sancho. No, they haven't. Talk sport, shut up. Paris Saint-Germain have made contact with Real Madrid over a potential deal for Rafael Varane. That one I do believe. That one makes sense. I could see Varane wanting to go to PSG. I really could. I think Real would be mad to let him go. I think you've got to throw a big contract at him. Uh, Jose Mourinho wants to bring Sergio Ramos to Roma. Eh, Serie A would probably be okay for him. He'd still get exposed every so often, but it is what it is. Arsenal have opened talks with Eintracht Frankfurt over the availability of Andre Silva, who's available for about $34 million this summer. That's from the Transfer Window podcast. That's Duncan Castles, isn't it? Um, he's generally wrong. 
Um, he just generally is wrong. Uh, Arsenal are front, front runners to sign Real Betis and Argentina uh, midfielder Guido Rodriguez. I think he scored for Argentina the other night. Um, he, he's a good player. He is a good player. Chelsea are set to offer N'Golo Kante a new lucrative contract. This is from the spoofer. This is nonsense because if you read the wording of it, it's just a guess. It's an absolute guess. He put little bits in quotation marks to make it seem like he was after being given first-hand information. It's a guess because Kante's contract, I believe, has two years left to run. And it would make sense that this would be the summer that Chelsea would. Yeah, he's got two years left in his contract. It would make sense that this would be the summer that they'd do an extension. It, it's a guess from Romano and absolutely nothing more. Um, Leicester want to sign Ryan Christie of Celtic. I doubt it. He played under Rodgers before. And by played under Rodgers, I mean Rodgers loaned him out twice and rarely looked at him. Uh, he didn't really become a factor at Celtic until the Brodge was, uh, was gone south of the border. So... I really don't think so. I really don't think so. Rodgers didn't rate him when he was at Celtic, so I'm going to call nonsense on that one. Lazio are looking to sell Joaquin Correa, who has attracted interest from Arsenal and Tottenham, and the Gunners could use Lucas Torreira as part of a deal. That's a good swap for Arsenal. Because you can play... Smith throw off the left and play Correa off a striker. He can play as part of the front th- front. He can play as a striker either. He can play in a front three. He can play in a two. For Lazio, I mean, if they're going to play him where Lucas Leiva plays, it's a huge upgrade, but it's not the ideal use of him. Two clubs swapping, swapping unwanted assets, maybe. I, I don't know. It, I think Arsenal should be keeping Torreira. I think him and Thomas Partey in midfield would be absolutely really it'd be absolutely spot on balance-wise. Um Hakan Chalanaglu, who is out of contract at AC Milan this summer, has been given a deadline to decide his future mid reports of interest from Arsenal. Meh. He's been linked with everybody because he's on a free. Eindrick Frankfurt are in, interested in Cengiz Under, who spent the season on loan with Leicester and could be available for €10 million. Euros. He had a dreadful season with Leicester. He's had a dreadful Euros. But a move to, to uh, the Bundesliga could kickstart his career a little bit. Newcastle are weighing up offering Arsenal a player-plus-cash deal, which could see Joe Willock return after a season on loan, or half-season on loan. I don't know what players they have that Arsenal will be interested in. I don't think there's any that they could afford to lose that Arsenal would want. Freddie Woodman, maybe? At least, at least as a backup goalkeeper. But I don't think Freddie Woodman would be too interested in that. Fiorentina are resigned to losing Nikola Milinkovic this summer as he has a year left in his contract, is not going to sign an extension. They will demand £15 million for the Serbian, who is rumoured to be wanted by Juventus and some Premier League clubs. He's a really good defender, really promising, still quite young, 23, lots of potential to get better, really bad management by them. They were offered £40 million a couple of summers ago by at least one Premier League team and turned it down. Um... 
for Manchester United, who need a pacey centre-back to go next to Maguire, there's your centre-back. Go and sign him. Go and sign him. He's he's very, very good. Very quick. Good on the ball. Strong in the air. Needs to get a bit more physical, but he'll get there. He's 23. Oh, you're too busy and wasting everybody's time with this Sancho thing. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, Barcelona have <laughs> Barcelona have made contact over a potential move for Atalanta's German wingback Robin Golsons. I, I can imagine how that phone call would go. I'd imagine a phone rang in Bergamo. A man answered it with an Italian accent. A man with a Spanish accent came on the other end and said, "Would you take nothing now, nothing for the next two years, and then you know in three or four years we'll give you fifty million." Laughter ensued and the phone was hung up. That's what I would guess happened there. West Brom have registered their interest in Sam Klukas of Stoke. I never understand this registering of interest. It sounds like nonsense to me. Um, West Brom have agreed a deal in principle for Valerian Ishmael, but they have to um, agree compensation. Now, I believe the buyout is $2 million and Barnsley won't accept a penny less. Uh, these are from, again, from Football Insider. So really scraping the barrel here, BBC. But yeah, that's it. That is the gossip for today and yesterday. Mostly nonsense, has to be said, mostly nonsense. But fun fun nonetheless. Enjoy today's games. Uh, all four of them should be fun. Kicking off at five with Ukraine, Austria, Netherlands, North Macedonia. And then it's Belgium against Finland, Denmark against Russia at eight. Should be good. Thanks as always for listening. Thank you to Guy Drinkle. Thanks to Fox Hunt. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.